Hello and welcome. Elizabeth Lockwood here. I'm your host for Mile Long Trace, where we unpack the process of practicing commercial interior design. This podcast is a catalyst to elevate you as a commercial interior designer, to make you resilient and successful at your career by unpacking the facets of the design process, elevating your professional practice through organizational dynamics tips, celebrating emerged practitioners through a series of candid interviews so that you can hear how they navigated their career path, and lastly, creating a Q&A platform to build quality professional resources. In the end, I want you to feel supported in your role as a commercial interior designer so that you can be successful in your career. As passionate designers, we want to elevate the commercial interior design industry by providing credible resources to support emerging practitioners. In order to keep this content accessible, Mylong Trace is seeking industry partners and sponsors to grow this platform. Industry sponsors and partners that are passionate about supporting, influencing, and advancing commercial interior design. Mylong Trace is offering annual and a la carte sponsorship. More information and to contact us, go to MileLongTrace.com. Generous sponsorship dollars support the future of commercial interior design by building a stronger community, knowledge base, and attrition at firms and an industry at large. Hello, and welcome back to Mile Long Trace. Today, we're going to dive into internships, and this episode is for practitioners and students. So we're going to talk about from a student's perspective, we're going to talk about from a practitioner's perspective, and really dive into the value and importance of internships within the profession of interior design. Um, We want to, you know, really understand and unpack the role and the importance of them, how to create a successful experience, what are things that it entails in the mindset of both a practitioner and a student, and really help the profession see and understand the value of those experiences from both perspectives. Today, I have a guest with me. Katia Marquardt is a professor in interior architecture in the School of Design and Communications at the College of Fine Arts and Communication at the University of Wisconsin in Stevens Point. She has a deep, deep background in higher education and interior design from a CETA accredited program. She's also taken the NCIQ and has a degree in interior design. Her bachelor's and her master's um, were both focusing in the field of interiors. And so today she's going to join me to discuss the role of internships within the profession. Okay. Katia, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So will you quickly explain for our guests your role and position at the University of Wisconsin? Absolutely. Uh, I am a faculty member with the Interior Architecture Program here at UW-Stevens Point. And uh, in that position, I'm, you know, I'm a full-time professor. So I, I teach students, I do some research, and I do some service. Awesome. Awesome. And you reached out because you're working with students on internships and have received feedback, positive experiences, and maybe ones that could be improved. And so that's what we're going to be diving into today. Before we go a little bit deeper into that, wanted to understand just what your passion is behind interior design and how you got into teaching. Oh, that is, you know, that's a great question. Um, my, I, I would... <laughs> To go very back to the beginning, my passion in design really started um, as a child. You know, I grew up with a father who was an architect and a mother who was an artist, and you know, I grew up tracing, you know, templates for fun, and still recall the memory of those plastic templates that my dad would use in his yeah. studio. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a distinct smell to that. Do our um, students nowadays know what those are? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I, you know, our students probably don't. We, you know, we've recently moved um, 
our location on campus. And as part of that move, we had to purge a lot of a lot of things that just weren't being used much anymore. So unfortunately, I think those did not make the cut. But you never, yeah. you know, it's it, I talk about them when I teach students, um, you know, AutoCAD and, and understanding blocks and whatnot. So we do talk about them, but I don't know if they use them anymore. Yeah, yeah. I wonder that's something of the past, the the brush to clean the eraser off your Mayline and the, you know, the malleable eraser that you could keep folding over. Oh, yeah. I love those. <laughs> it's very, it was, it was like, a very tactile back in the day, right? It really was. Yeah. And it was almost like playing with um, Silly Putty, you know, mm-hmm. it was just, it was really nice. It's just that whole body experience of drafting is lost to a lot yeah. of our, our students. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I was, you know, I was just going to mention that, you know, by the time I got into college, I, I did not have my eyes on interior design as a, as a career path. I, it took me a while to get there. And so um, you know, when I finally did get there, it seemed like the obvious choice. Um, and so you know, I went through school and have always loved working with students. Um, when I was in college, I had a lot of positions that were working with students, whether it was in residential housing or, you know, kind of doing like camp counselor type things and whatnot. Um, And so when I graduated, I always wanted to go back to graduate school and worked a few years in the field, but my heart was always with students and in teaching design. And so when I was in graduate school, I you know, navigated through that and developed my own areas of interest and research, but um, really knew at the end of that, that um, where I ultimately wanted to be was in as a design educator and working with students full time. And it's been great. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And so from an academic perspective, why do you think internships are valuable? Well, you know, students get so much information through their academic studies. Um, and, you know, our program is a CETA accredited program. And so we really have a, a very rigorous academic curriculum that they need to follow. But, you know, nothing compares to real world experience. And, you know, we can replicate some of that with projects that we offer that maybe have real world scenarios or real world clients. Um, but it just isn't the same as when a student goes to work in a design firm or a, you know, design-related business as an intern. Mm-hmm. Do you guys see that you do you have requirements, credit requirements for an internship, or is that something that students have to voluntarily do? We require an internship. So it's a three-credit course. Our students at our program take it in the summer, which gives them the most amount of flexibility in terms of where they are able to do their internship. Um, our program is in central Wisconsin, so we're not we're not in a large metropolitan area. Um, so many of our students like to go to larger cities where there's there's more opportunities for internships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we allow our students to do internships wherever they want. Um, so I have students that will go to other states to do internships as well. So um, we require that. And then there are some requirements that um, they also need to fulfill in terms of the number of hours they -hmm. need to work in an internship. And they are doing it as part of a course. So there, of course, are academic requirements along with that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what do you think the students are hoping to get out of internships? What's the experience they're looking for? Well, you know, in an ideal placement, um, you know, students we, we really want students to be exposed to as many aspects of the design process as possible. And I think students really understand that and, and embrace it as well. And it's, it's really broad, right? Like it takes a bit for students to think about what that really means when they're looking for their ideal placement. Um, because we also realize that every placement has different needs and they have different types of experiences that they will be able to offer students. Um, so, you know, at a minimum, our students want to be able to observe meetings with clients, you know, to work with colleagues, subcontractors, reps. They want to be able to visit sites and observe 
various stages of the construction process. Um, you know, they really, they want to feel like they're engaged in their experience and that they have a sense of accomplishment, you know, at the end of the internship. Um, you know, we also, as educators, we want students to have that real exposure to the business aspect of practicing in the field because we're not able to really replicate that in the academic environment as much as we would like to. And, you know, that helps them form relationships with professionals as well. And um, hopefully we'll get them into a good position uh, for finding that first full-time job when they do graduate and search for a professional position. Yeah. That, that first year after you graduate is the hardest year to break through and get, you know, everyone wants two to three plus years experience. And it's very rare that you see a job posting that says zero years experience. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah, those yeah. internships are a fabulous way to start to check that mark so that you you know, you kind of know the general operation. And I know that, you know, there's, um, if you're maybe going back as a second career into interiors, it's a little bit different than when you're 18 and graduating by the time you're 21 and going directly into the practice, you know, the, the, just like you were saying, the professional practice side of it, you know, most schools have a course on professional practice and you go through, you know, some of the steps of creating a resume and, you know, learning how to maybe do a budget or meeting minutes or, you know, some of those things, but there's so much, that, there's so much to just being a practicing professional that you can't cover in a four or five year interior design curriculum. And I think that having them in practice, understanding and seeing and applying, like you were saying, you know, going to meetings and understanding how to conduct yourself at a meeting and how to engage and when to push consultants and when to, you know, delicately kind of walk that line and not offend them, but move the job along or, you know, the design, further the design. I think that there's some subtleties to that that everyone learns over the years. And it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, they're hoping to get some of that experience by attending meetings and being alongside someone during that process. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it's it's really true that, you know, it's interesting, as you said, there are some students who come to design as a second career and some that start as their first career of choice. And so working with students who have more maturity from the aspect of they're just further beyond in their professional life. That's always interesting when they go out and find internships. They're always looking for something a little bit different than students who are, you know, first time what we would call traditional college students mm -hmm. or traditional path college students. It's interesting to work with the different types of students because um, you can really help guide them in terms of finding their their placement and really maximizing what they're interested in. You know, and of course they bring different things to a position as well. We do have a professional practice course in our curriculum also, but we require that students do one internship prior to taking that course. Mm. And well, one of the main reasons for that is we find that students are able to more deeply integrate some of the things that we cover in that professional practice course after they've been able to observe it in the field. That's interesting. We always did the opposite. And really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because oh. we're like, oh, we got to make sure they, you know, don't want to put them out there before, you know, before they haven't had the lecture on dress code. But I think there's something yeah. to that. There's um, an interesting model that I used to use that was from a gentleman named Dewey. And it was the the theory was that you let people just get their hands dirty enough and then you do the lesson and mm. the learning. And it sounds like you guys are falling in line and finding value in that, that the students see more of the meaning and they understand the importance of the curriculum from professional practice once they've seen it in the profession. And they're like, oh, I need to know that now. Yeah. And ideally, you know, from a from an educator's point of view, I would like to see my students do more than one internship before mm -hmm. they graduate. So we don't allow our students to do an internship for credit until they've had about two years under their belt in their curriculum. So they do come to an internship with 
a certain set of skills that they can bring to that position. If a student does that internship, the first one right after that second year, they would have an opportunity to do another one after their third year, you know, going into their fourth year. And that's where there's so much value to be had in that. You know, not, all, not all the students are able to do it, but there's so much value in having those multiple points of exposure to different types of the industry. And mm-hmm. some of the students um, choose to do that second internship overseas. So we have a, we have a pretty good program uh, in London where students are able to do a second internship overseas. And that's very valuable for students as well. Wow. Well, I want to go do that. That sounds like fun. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I was just thinking back to all the different types of internships that are available and there's some that, you know, that are non-traditional. I think the most straightforward track is you're working underneath a residential designer and shadowing them. Maybe it's more of an intimate relationship or you're in a commercial firm that maybe has a reputation with the school and does a rotating internship program. Um, you know, but there's also, I'm working with a woman that's getting her master's right now in interior architecture, and she's doing an internship with a construction management firm. So we're doing a design build on a project and she's getting this really deep experience in construction management and pricing and bidding and negotiating jobs and how valuable that side is going to be for her when she goes to practice in interiors in a couple of years. It really, you know, is an interesting twist. I know, you know, some students would go and shadow reps um, or work at showrooms as well. I think that, like you were saying, the more traditional student oftentimes would usually do those. The more senior kind of life experienced students would oftentimes really seek those kind of specialty moments because they're they're starting to try to they're aware of that leveraging and networking that they need to be doing. Yeah, that's you know, that's so so true. And part of teasing that out, you know, when I work with students, that that's part of that process of helping a student figure out where they want to go for their internship. Um, You know, as I mentioned in our location, we're in a pretty small town type of setting. So there aren't a lot of options locally. And a lot of our Mm -hmm. students come from small towns. And so their inclination to do that first internship is to go back home and find a place to work. And mm-hmm. they, they have a lot of limited options if that's going to be the path that they follow. And sitting with a student and trying to figure out what are, what's their ultimate goal you know, after they graduate? What sort of office do they imagine themselves working in? Or you know, is there a type of design they want to pursue? And you know, really walking through that and helping them then understand that they can use this internship experience to get themselves along that path, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit more clearly. Sometimes that means being very flexible with where a student might choose to intern. So for example, I had a student years ago who said um, when he was doing, looking at his internship, he said, look, you know, I just don't ever see myself working in a design firm doing traditional design, but I love landscape architecture. And so, Mm. um, and he, and he really wanted to get his hands dirty. So he was able to find an internship at a design build firm that, um, was part office work and, you know, doing the design end of things, but also part working in the field. So he was on site for this particular company, I think three days a week, you know, doing construction work. And then two days a week, he went into the office and he was doing more, you know, what I would think of as traditional internship type jobs. You know, the other thing that is always interesting in that process is um, when I debrief students after they're done with their internship, a lot of them say that, you know, they go into it thinking they just want to do residential design. Mm-hmm. And many don't, you know, aren't able to find a, a position in a residential design firm. So they end up doing something in commercial and they come out and they say, I had no idea commercial design was so exciting. This is what I want to do Mm. now, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's always an interesting thing to observe um, from an educator standpoint as well. It's just watching students track through the program and have these experiences and, um, and really grow in terms of what, how they understand themselves as designers. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and it's definitely, it's true during missions interviews, oftentimes there's a lot of, oh, I saw this on HDTV and that looks cool. And you're like, yeah, most of us don't really do that type of work. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> How did right? you get here? HGTV. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so I think there's an interesting transition. And I think that continues into practice. I know, you know, there's a lot of pressure when you graduate to feel like you know what you're going to, you need to know what you're going to do and you need to have a plan and you have to stick to that plan. And there's so many folds and there's so many paths that come forward as you practice and as you evolve as, as a human in life that mm -hmm. send you on different tracks, right? It, that you could end up doing something wildly different, but your degree still upholds to maybe being a design thinker, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And there's just so many avenues out there that I don't think people are always aware of when they're first going into a program. And I know that's part of the curriculum with CETA is to have a broad exposure, which is really great. Um, but, you know, the wonderful thing about internships is it's a chance for you to for one to test and to put their dabble their toes in a sector and see if it's right. Right. Mm -hmm. So what do you think from a practitioner's perspective they're expecting out of an internship? That's such an interesting question because I, you know, I have never been in the shoes of a practitioner working with an intern, but I, I did, I talked to some of my friends, you know, and of course I have my own thoughts based on some feedback I've received from practitioners that have had our student interns um, but, you know, in conversations with some of my other colleagues who are practitioners who work with interns, it seems like a lot of practitioners expect students to either come in as learners or to be able to just hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, some professionals that I've talked to, um, in our area in trying to get their firms to offer internships, are really resistant to doing so because they think that it's going to take too much time to onboard a student and to really, they, they just have a hard time seeing an intern or a student fit into their very, very busy project schedules. And mm -hmm. I get that. Um, but it's also very disappointing to hear because, you know, in reality, many students are just going to be happy to have the experience of coming into a firm to observe you know, the day-to-day -day operations with minimal training required. And, you know, they just want to be in that professional environment, you know, and, but on the other side, I think that if a firm isn't committed to mentoring a student, then they probably shouldn't be offering internships. Um, you know, students are not just cheap labor, you know, to be utilized for their fresh ideas and, you know, savvy technical skills mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, but, you know, I, I think one of my colleagues shared something that I think is really valuable for firms to consider, which is to think of having an intern as having an extra learner in the office rather than having an extra worker mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and really treating the student like that, um, you know, in many of the ways that they work with them. So true. I've experienced or seen both sides of that, right? And the I think the traditional sense is it's a cheap labor strategy. Oh, get an intern and, you know, make them kind of do the grunt work. And oftentimes in interiors that, it, that entails organizing the materials library for the summer, right? Because <laughs> yes. everyone's abused it over the year. And uh, there is some value in that because the students need to start making connections with the reps. They are such a valuable resource and it gets you a chance to start to practice some of those business skills of calling them, talking about the product, evaluating it, you know, figuring out how it performs, how you install, you know, what the cost of it is, you know, all the things that come along with product specification. So that, you know, is one thing that's really nice, but it oftentimes, I think the, the traditional sense was have them come in for the summer because we need somebody to organize our library for us because we've let it go for a year or two. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that cheap labor there, there are two camps and obviously we can't control what camps those are in, but some firms do develop a reputation for maybe not having the best internship. And I love how you said committed, you use the word committed 
and the thinking that it's that they're coming in to learn. And that really takes a special individual on the practitioner's side to slow down and walk them through the day-to-day because there's so much that we do daily that we take for granted that we don't even think about that it, you know, someone might do it differently or have not experienced this before. You know, how you mm-hmm. organize and connect yourself in meetings, you know, what type of dress code for the construction site versus, you know, a business meeting, um, you know, how you prepare meeting minutes, just all, you know, the things that come on top of the specification and the technical aspects of, you know, design in that process, right? And I think that, I think the success that I've seen is when, it's one or two individuals that's committed in the firm to doing that process. When you bring in an intern for the summer and they're just a butt in a seat mm-hmm. it, and they kind of bounce around between people, I think that it's challenging to have that continuity of, of the assurance of them actually getting a valuable experience. And as well, that practitioner you know, if there's people that are just popping in and working with them and throwing things their way because they're trying to put out fires and, oh, maybe the intern could do this and the intern could do that. Um, I don't, I don't think there's the consistency and continuity for both parties. And it really, I think it's, it's more beneficial to both if there's somebody on the firm side that is committed and is sitting in that office next to them. We've got five offices and We've got interns in one of those offices, and I've had that experience of working with them remotely. And there's mm-hmm. been some successes, but it, it really is challenging working with them remotely. I want to just be able to, you know, kind of out of my eye, watch and see what they're working on and be able to answer questions. And instead, you know, we have to call each other and then we have to share screen. And, you know, it just creates one more of those barriers that I know students these days are very savvy at technology. But Mm -hmm. to have somebody that's really just sitting next to them, monitoring them and, you know, recognizing, oh, hey, I'm going out to a meeting, you know, and inviting them along. I'm thinking back to the fact that I haven't invited those students to my virtual meetings. I definitely (laughs) can't invite them to my physical meetings. Right. But all the virtual Mm -hmm. ones, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you know, that didn't occur to me. But if the student was sitting there and I was responsible for their experience, I know I would have treated it much differently. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know that there are people that are committed in our office that are sitting next to them. Um, and then they'll just reach out and say, hey, does anyone else have some things to help them on? And these are some projects we'd like to target that they work on because they're interested in K through you know 12 education or things like that. But mm-hmm. it really, it, I think it takes, it's just like designing curriculum for a classroom. You need to design that experience for the summer or however long that internship is and be cognitive of how are you engaging them and bringing them along and letting them be exposed and, you know, not just saying they're twiddling their thumbs or just doing a rendering, you know, mm-hmm. type of thing. Yes. And you, there are so many good things about what you were just talking about. You know, my brain is going in a million different directions <laughs> right now because, you know, going a bit back to what you were talking about in terms of, um, you know, practitioners working with interns and, um, you know, the, the expectations that they have of interns coming in and whatnot. And it, you know, it's, it's easy to forget what it's like to be a young person at the beginning of your career, you know, even just still learning about the field and, um, what it's like to walk into a place of business for the first Mm time. And, knowing that you are expected to perform a certain way and be professional and, you know, know certain skills that you're still just learning and starting to understand. And there's, you know, what, what might seem like second nature now, you know, dressing professionally, um, you know, the right way to communicate with clients and, Mm -hmm. you know, interact with people in the office and just knowing inherently what needs to happen next in a project or with, you know, those sorts of things, all of that is new for students. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's really easy to forget that. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe this isn't so true with some of our returning students who have some life experience, but for students, for some students, this is the first, their internship is the first time 
they will have any sort of professional exposure to a, a job or a career. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that can be really scary. And so I think, you know, when you were talking about having somebody in an office that serves as that primary point person that can have some continuity, you know, year after year working with interns and maybe even working with a certain an academic program where you're able to really develop an internship experience. I think that that's a great, that there's so much value to that, you know, to be able to, to work with uh, the local schools, you know, universities mm-hmm. and design programs to figure out from the educators, what would be the best way to work with interns in your program? And, you know, what are some of the things we can do, but also from an educator standpoint to be able to have somebody in a firm that I know I can talk to all the time and, you know, have that exchange of, let's look at what worked well this last time around and what didn't and what can we do to improve that in the future would be really valuable and would add so much to, you know, to the internship curriculum. And I think like you said, having some experience and definitely some of those hard skills before you go into an internship is really important. Like you guys were saying, they, they can't, they could probably do an internship, but they can't get credit for it until their third and fourth year, I think is really critical. It, um, it's, there's tons of software you're going to learn over the lifespan of your career, but you do need to come in with some understanding of the software that's currently being used. And mm-hmm. I, you know, thinking back to my internship experience at the first firm I worked for while I was in school, it was between summers and the program that I was at didn't teach AutoCAD. That was be- This was before Revit. And the firm was gracious enough to teach me the basics and let me apply it on a project. And then at that same time, I went to a community college over the summer and took a course in it. And so I was able to then apply that knowledge as I was learning it in the field. And that was a really, really great way to cement mm. it, mm-hmm. but also a steep learning curve. I, When I had to start working in Revit, it was the same firm, um, but a, quite a few years later, and they said, okay, we're mandating Revit on every project now. And I was like, but I really know how to do everything very fast in AutoCAD. And they were like, nope, you got, here's the manual, figure it out. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that took a lot and it, you're distracted from the process of design, the finer points of things when you're trying to learn a software program. And so if you can come mm-hmm. in with some basic knowledge of how to open, navigate Revit and AutoCAD, and, you know, just kind of get get through it. You may not know, and none of us know everything in those software programs, but to know enough that you can just know the basics of navigation, and then you know the questions to additionally ask of a mm-hmm. BIM manager or somebody you're working with, I think is really, really helpful because a, a lot of our time is in those software programs. And I think it's important to be able to understand how to navigate and use those effectively and efficiently and you know, we were, we were just talking about the question on practice, what do practitioners expect out of internships? I think there's, like we were discussing, a variety of expectations, right? And so mm-hmm. it's it's aligning the student's ex- expectations with that practitioner or that firm's expectations. I can think of one firm that I have a friend that works at, and she's in charge of internships for the summer and they always have five to 10, they have a certain amount of internship slots that they offer and they attract students from across the country and I think the world to their firm and they host a formal internship process and she's in charge of everything from making sure they're having a good day and, (laughs) you know, is their housing working out, right? And everything... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm in regards to what they need in order to be able to show up for the day and then making sure that they're having a valuable experience, they're engaged on projects, what projects are they working on? Are they getting a variety of exposure? And I think it really does take the firm, which is unbillable time for us Mm -hmm. to pay it forward. Right. And there was somebody that gave all of us an opportunity And I think it's our obligation as practitioners to continue to do that, to continue to slow down, at points and properly mentor 
properly, you know, institute an internship process. And it doesn't have to be all the time, but maybe, you know, you're conscious about when you do that and you, you know, really just look at how you engage the next generation into the profession because it does, it affects all of us in the end. We're all, you know, one big system. And if we're not preparing students for internships, we're not offering internships, the entry level applicants we're getting haven't had that initial experience. And, you know, so it's just, it's a ripple effect, right? And mm-hmm. I think that it's something. I know there's a lot of practitioners that would fall into the camp of they wish they had more time for mentoring. They wish they had more time for internship um, mentoring, even, you know, junior and entry level designer mentoring. And it really it's something that you just ha- have to personally commit yourself to doing because your job description, it might say on some bullet point that you should be mentoring, but it doesn't mandate on your hourly projections that you should be doing that, right? So it's taking Mm -hmm. that time to just slow down and think about what are things that you haven't, that you take for granted that maybe this person hasn't been exposed to, what are, you know, giving them time to ask the questions, giving them time to explore, and then um, providing feedback for them and engaging them more intentionally. Has me thinking about the there seemed that there seems like there is an opportunity here for something to emerge that might be filling that gray area between firms and practitioners and students in their academic program that would um, somehow allow practitioners to do that mentorship um, and feel more confident in being able to take that billable time away from projects mm-hmm. um, and be somehow compensated or somehow supported in that role because it is such an important thing to be able to give back. And as you said, really, you know, you reach a point where you do need to give back to your profession and, you know, somebody helped you along the way. Now it's your time to pay it forward. But yeah, it's really hard to do that when you're trying to run a business and, you know, pay your bills and make sure you're getting your project deadlines met and all of that, you know, it's, it's hard to take that time away. And it seems like there's an opportunity for somebody, maybe an industry partner or a group of people to step in and say, we are going to help support that process. You know, Mm -hmm. we are passionate about, um, you know, mentoring students and we're passionate about, you know, supporting the next generation of designers that's going to come along and carry design forward. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's been some different initiatives over the years. I know that IADA has tried to institute some different curriculums for internships, different, you know, ways to network, connect people. I know that reps have also done joint internships where they've shared an intern and then really, you know, tried to get those interns into the offices with them where they're doing presentations and reviews with practitioners and trying to then connect them that way and saying, Hey, um, you know, and actually IADA does do a, um, Oh, what do they call it? I've done it a couple of times. Now I can't even remember. <laughs> um, and I'm sure USAD probably does this as well. They do a kind of day in the life day where you mentor a student for a day. So if students in the area sign up, and then you get paired with a practitioner and you come in and mentor and shadow them mm-hmm. for a day. So there, you know, there's those little quick hits. And I think that's a nice yeah. way to do the qu- kind of quick speed dating way mm-hmm. of do I want a small firm? Do I want a big firm? Do I want one that's more designy? Do I want one that's more f- technically focused? Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there's just even within commercial firms, there's so much diversity, right? And it's just like, I say this a lot. It's like dating. Um, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you have to do it enough. You have to experience <laughs> right. enough people so that you then understand what's right, the right fit for you. And it's the same with your job and internships are a great way to do that. And I think, I think sometimes I said this earlier, students think that the internship that they commit to is the path they need to go down. And I, I don't think that's the case. Um, I will say that it, if you go down the residential path, it is harder to go into commercial practice at some point, but it's very easy if you've gone down the commercial path for five to 10 years to start practicing in residential. It's easier to kind of make that switch from what I've found. But, hmm. you know, within project types, if you start going down the healthcare avenue 
and a year or two in, you decide healthcare isn't the angle that you want to take, it's very easy to switch. Um, you know, it's, I think it gets harder as you go on in your career to go into mm -hmm. some of those really specialized fields if you don't have a well-rounded portfolio of projects. But I think, you know, I guess my, my take would be to encourage students to go to firms that have a diverse portfolio. So you get to experience a lot of different project types. So you don't have to start to focus yourself too early and you can dabble and explore in those different project types. Yeah, I love that. You know, I, I would agree with you on that um, very much so. And um, and also just, you know, yeah, that's the speed dating model. And you're right. ASID has done this in the past. IIDA does it as well. Those, you know, yeah, you I forget what they call it too off the top of my head. I should know this, but <laughs> I know um, we I both know. should know it. <laughs> it's but yeah, it's like a shadowing. You get met, you know, paired with it's like a, a mentor day. Mentor, yeah, oh, man, something like that. It's a it is really a mentorship, but it's a job shadow day. And is it day yeah. with a designer or something? I don't remember. Yeah, but, yeah, um, maybe they come up with kitschy terms. <laughs> I have know, people that are probably regions. going to be like, yeah, right, different. That makes sense. Yeah, but so um, <laughs> you mentioned overhead, and I think that's one that's important to dive into is we being in this profession, most firms are very, very conscious of how much overhead time they're spending. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you'll even be given a percentage of, you know, on a weekly basis or a yearly basis, depending on your skill set and your level in the firm, you should only be spending about this many hours or this percentage of time on overhead. And overhead is everything from maybe office tasks, organizing the library, to running errands, to doing, you know, interviews, to doing internships, you know, anything that you can't bill directly to a client that's directly tied to an outcome in a project. And I think that overhead is that that sticky part. And it's one that I've been wrestling with because we, majority of practitioners, especially at commercial firms, go in and you're a salaried position at some point. Maybe not right away, mm -hmm. but you usually move into a salaried position. And so if you get the job done and you spend the amount of time you need to spend, right? Mm -hmm. If you're if you're working 40 hours, but only, you know, 5% of that or 2% each week is overhead versus if you're working 60 hours and then 10% of that is overhead, right? It, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's like the things I think what we need to be focusing on and looking at is, are we serving our clients? Are we getting the job done? Are we bettering the profession? You know, what have we done in meaningful ways each week? And I think, you know, like we talked about earlier, some firms are very focused on that overhead and don't want to invest the time and be committed to the learning portion of internships. And they're really about the cheap labor, if even mm -hmm. that, right? It's mm -hmm. kind of just a button seat. And I think, you know, maybe we've already stated this, but I'll restate it as I think students need to look for internships and practitioners need to deeply consider, you know, what the intent of their internship is and how they can make it valuable for both sides. Because I know that the overhead is one that really comes up and it comes up on a day-to-day -day basis, whether or not we're talking about internship or not. It's mm -hmm. something that, you know, it's just, you think about, is it, is it worth all of our time to be on this call? Should all of us be on this call right now? We've got five, you know, people on this call and, you know, each one has this much billing rate. Is that beneficial to the project? Um, you know, we're we're thinking about it on that level when we have to send somebody out to go do field measurements or do a site investigation or look at a project type. You know, you really question: Is it valuable to send this amount of people because it's that much overhead um, or cost to the project if you're billing it? And it's interesting. I think I know that some. Firms in the past didn't wouldn't necessarily do paid internships, and I'm kind of curious mm -hmm. to hear what you think about paid versus unpaid internships. Yeah, long debate, right? Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> uh, so I've seen this change over the years. It seems like in the past, the majority of the internships that our students would receive were unpaid. But I think that that has definitely changed. Um, 
now it seems like the majority, not all, but the majority of the internships that our students receive are paid, um, usually an hourly rate. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if it's not like an hourly paid position, they receive some type of bonus or, you know, maybe they receive um, compensation on their travel, you know, that sort of thing. Um, the thing that in, in my years of teaching, the thing that I've really observed with students is that you know, students now, so many of them are working multiple jobs just to get through school. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I worked through college as well. I worked multiple jobs, but I, I think our, the student body that is in school now has a different level of financial burden than I feel like I certainly had and my, my peers had when we were in school. And so most students, that's one of the questions I get right away because they're very nervous about the idea of having to fulfill this internship requirement and figuring out how to take the time away from their other summer jobs where they're earning money to pay for school to do this internship that may or may not be paid. And so most students really want to find something that does compensate them somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we don't require so many hours for an internship that a student is just working full time at that internship and that's it. So a lot of our students will do multiple jobs, including their internship over the summer. So that helps mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, students just they have, I think, a lot of a different type of financial obligation you know, in this day and age than it seems like they used to. And Mm -hmm. and I would say that anything a firm can do to help offset that commitment of time and energy that a student is bringing to their business um, will help a student, you know, Mm -hmm. even if it's just offering to give them a bonus at the end. But, you know, I always encourage practitioners to pay for student work. I, I, my personal opinion is that students should be paid for their efforts. I, yeah. (laughs) So, um, but that doesn't always happen, you know. Isn't there a rule you cannot bill out or have the students directly work on projects if you're not paying them? Like, right. I mean that you cannot bill out for the time that that student has spent if you didn't pay them for it. And I think there's Mm -hmm. even, there's even finer tooth elements to that, that they can't work. If you're not paying them, they can't work on anything that if you're billing out or not, that would have been in that base deliverable. So an extra rendering that was not in that initial proposal that you're like, Hey, we're throwing this in because our intern had time to do it. I think can happen. But a lot of times it's they really should not work on any client projects. And so then that, you know, what what's their experience? Maybe they're shadowing, but how much can you shadow before you really need to get your hands, you know, wet and try things? And I, I could mm-hmm. see maybe in a small practitioner, like maybe at a residential, a, a single sole proprietor that's saying, hey, you know, I don't have, you know, I'm just making it day to day type of thing, but I really want to offer an internship and they're, they're willing to do more of a shadowing type experience. But, you know, if you're directly having a student do any outcomes on a project, I believe you have to pay them. And I think that we used to just say, we encourage kind of hundred percent paying for internships um, mm-hmm. of our students in the past, because I think that they just weren't getting the experience. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's tricky sometimes. I, when the, when the recession hit, um, this was probably around in our area, it was really a, an issue in like summer of 08, 09, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. We just saw firms just dropping off the map that used to provide consistent, really good internships. And when we were contacting these firms asking, you know, what's going on? What's, you know, they were, they kind of fell into that trap of we can't afford to hide, you know, to keep our designers on staff and ethically we cannot have an intern who's unpaid, you know, Mm -hmm. working for Mm -hmm. us. And so therefore we can no longer offer an internship. And, 
it was so heartbreaking to see that happen just because of the value of having that professional experience. Um, that's changed. You know, we've had students now finding, you know, I've had pretty good price, you know, really good placement rates for our students, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, our industry has those downturns and mm-hmm. um, that impacts very, you know, broadly, you know, mm-hmm. from the professionals in the workforce, as well as the students who are coming up. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, especially 2008 was a very special scenario that probably <laughs> needs a lot of exemptions. <laughs> right. I mean, Especially you know, so as a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, as a community, we all just need to come together during those times. And mm. if there's things you can do to shadow, but you can't pay, that's better than nothing at all. Right. 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 But yeah. if you, you know, you're, you're a firm that's robust, you have you know, a good group of staff that's working, you you know, you, you should be paying, I think, the interns for, you know, their time. And it's interesting, you said some pay for travel or give, you know, maybe a stipend or things like that. That's kind of an interesting model as well. Um, But I'm just kind of watching our time and was looking at the last question I had down here was this idea that We've been using mentorship and internship interchangeably and wondering if those two terms trigger anything for you about similarities or differences in the profession. Oh, goodness. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, to me, you know, sponsorship, right? Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. really implies some degree of support, usually financial, but you know, certainly it seems like there would be a role of a supporter and a receiver without a commitment to offer any sort of instruction or guidance, you know, on either of those roles. Um, On the other hand, mentorship to me really does imply teaching and guiding. And, you know, when somebody acts as a mentor, they are, they're committing, you know, as we mentioned Mm -hmm. before, and they're helping to guide somebody through a process. And usually that's a very, or it should be a very active and engaged role to play. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I, to me, the, the line is very clear between the two. Um, I could see some areas where you could have a sponsor that is also a mentor, but to me, it's really a, you know, that's the difference. Alrighty. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want more, please spread the love and subscribe to this podcast. You can find supporting information in the show notes for this episode on milelongtrace.com. If you're itching to have a question answered about the interior design profession, visit our website to contact me. Don't forget to follow MyLongTrace on Instagram to stay in the know. Hey, share this with your friends to grow this platform so that we can continue to provide you kick-ass information that is relevant to you and your profession. Till next time, keep designing, y'all.